Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. That was good. That was good. Thank you. What an extinguished look of group of, a looking group of people. <clears throat> I'm reminding of uh, a historical event that occurred in uh, 1901 in Pennsylvania, Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Now, I'm holding the mic, not because you can hear, because they're taping. So, right, this is, this is hard. I'm, if I drop this, let me know. I'll pick it up because I've got to watch those little buttons over there and work this thing. And I hope I can do all this stuff. But I'm looking at these great mines across here, and I'm reminded of the great Pennsylvania, the great uh, Johnstown flood, tremendous flood. People were killed, thousands of people. There was a survivor. There were several survivors, but one guy in particular spent the rest of his life going around. We meet people and tell them how he survived the flood. The waters raged and all this stuff, and he survived. So he gets to heaven. St. Peter says, here you are in heaven, you get to do whatever you want. Now, that's not theologically correct. I have to stop this. I had a pastor one time say, you know, that's not true. <clears throat> so he gets to, it's just a joke. So he gets to heaven. St. Peter says, what do you want to do? He says, I want to just, all the rest of my, the rest of eternity, I want to tell people about the Johnstown flood. He says, that's fine. He says, on cloud nine, cloud 19, let's use that one. He said, we'll have a reservation for you, and you can just spend eternity there speaking. Hallelujah, he said, praise God. Peter said, oh, by the way, Noah will be there. So that's kind of the way I feel. I look around here. I'm not so sure I feel like I'm the guy that should be speaking sometimes, but I do thank the Lord for this opportunity. We have a, a ministry called Aquila and Priscilla. We've been incorporated for two years. We were school teachers. We retired, sold our house, moved into our motor home, and traveled around the country. Now, we did this in the summer a little bit, and we minister in churches. I was telling some people ministry does not necessarily mean standing in front behind the pulpit doing something spiritual. A lot of ministry went on in that lunchroom up there, fellowshipping with one. I saw people praying for each other. What an exciting thing. And so I got prayed for in the elevator for my voice. I mean, what a great thing that happened. And so ministry is what happens when a bunch of believers get together and take care of each other. And so we travel and minister. We do all kinds of things. We painted churches. We put air conditioners in. I've made hospital visits with pastors. I have spoken, and we can take an offering. I'll take care of we can give. However... Since we are tent makers, retired, I have this little retirement, I don't need to get an offering to survive. And so that's why we did a corporate film. And so um, I'm going to say this one time, and I won't bother you with it again. We um, are believing the Lord for a new motorhome. Our motorhome is 12 years old. We live in it. It's in the shop right now. My wife got a phone call on her phone at the point of sessions earlier today. It's ready to be picked up. Fortunately, some of it was warranty work from a previous problem we had. But uh, So we're just saying, dear Lord, if you want us to do this ministry, if you call us to this, then you need to provide the tools. And we need a newer motor home. We need a little better one, a little more dependable one. And so if you've got like 100000 laying around, you'd like to give to a 501c3 ministry, here we are. Now, my grandmother came home from a, my, 95 years old, my wife's grandmother came home from a, a, a date with, her, with a friend of her, fa, of her husband who is like my age, maybe younger. And he's quite wealthy. His daddy owns a property. He sold it and made millions. And when he saw her and he took her out for lunch and gave her some money and she picked it up as a $100 bill. And his comment to her was, I have more money than I know what to do with. I said, you should have told him about me. <laughs> so there we go. But anyway, so much about our ministry. Where I could tell you, I am so excited about what the Lord is doing through me. Not because I'm the person, but he's using me. I find that so exciting. Why would he use me? Well, he died for me. Somehow, we sort of say that's okay. I feel like it just worked. Let me go backwards for some reason. So, and so I'm a little better at this than Joe, but next, there we go. We can talk about covenants. Now, you realize, of course, that we have an old covenant and we have a new covenant. We actually call them the old covenant. Testament and the New Testament. So when Pastor Joe called me and said, um, we'd like for you to speak, what do you want to speak on? I said, well, you tell me because I'd like to do anything I can help out. And I thought I'd do something on covenants. You might, of course, he sold a bunch of it earlier. So anyway, <clears throat> I thought about this, you know, old covenant. That's like the whole Bible. They gave me an hour. So we're going to move quick. 
in the beginning. No, we won't start there. So there's all these kinds of covenants. We can talk about all these things, and, and he's going to talk about some later on, but I don't want to get into a lot of that. That's, that's theology stuff, and some of it's pertinent to what we're doing and here, and some of it is not, and so we'll just leave it at that. Why are we not getting this to work like it's supposed to? There we go. Now I want you to look at these words. These are all synonyms to the word covenant. And these are synonyms we would use in today's language. And this slide right here, I think, for most of you, might be the part that is where you may learn something, if I can say it that way. If I can be so presumptuous as to say that. Um, as I began to pray and seek God about, um, about what we're going to talk about with covenants, I can remember several things that happened. One of them was that I was in a marriage seminar, not like this one by any means, and I think most of the people that spoke were divorced and remarried. And uh, I was in this, and a couple cat up and gave a comparison between a covenant and a contract. And he said one, and she said the other. A covenant is, blah, blah, blah. A contract is, blah, blah, blah. Not one word of it, I shouldn't get quite that, that group, but 90% of it was not scriptural. They just made this stuff up. What a covenant, a covenant and a contract are exactly the same thing. These are different words we use. Um, I had another fellow, I'll, I'll say a little more than that in a minute. Another fellow came to me as a pastor that I was going to his church at the time. He came to me and he said, I've got this marriage thing figured out. Obviously, I had him thinking. And he said, here's the deal. He said, a vow is what you make to God. A vow goes this way. And a covenant, here we go. Get out of there. A covenant, pretend that's not there. Um, a covenant is what people make to each other. And a vow to God cannot be broken, but a covenant to each other is different. Well, I never heard that before. I said, well, let me see. I found that wasn't true. The fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, wait a minute. Why aren't we working here? I'm going to have to do this every time. These are not the same. These are synonyms. They have the same force. Now let me explain that to you. If you, a covenant is a Bible word. We almost never have a covenant with anybody today. If the leadership in this conference, the speakers, if I could say that, all got together and say, brothers, we're going to get together and covenant together to pray for the conference, that would be how we might use it. It's a religious term. It's a biblical term. It's not a contract. It's, it's like you buy a car. You pay for work and you sign it. We call that a contract. Or a house. Or a business deal. You sign it as a contract. You'll not find the word contract as such in the Bible. So, does that release you from having to fulfill your part of the contract? No. you still got to do it. You may stand up in court and give an oath or give a testimony. You may swear something. You may make a deal with somebody. A bond is, is, I have a bond is what I say I will do. An agreement might be the same as a covenant. My point is this. These words mean little different things. The, the bottom line is, the, the fact is, if you say it, you do it. We recently had some visitors from North Carolina, one of the churches we minister at, came down to see us and visited with us a little bit, and we had a nice time with them. And they said, um, I said, well, what are you going to do when you get home? He says, well, he said, I've got to get my um, bobcat out, this little tool, and go take care of this thing at the church. I really dread it, he says, because I've got to do maintenance on it, I've got to put gas in it, and I've got to put it on my trailer, and my trailer needs maintenance, and I've got to put it behind my car, which doesn't pull it very well, and take it over to the church and do it. I said, well, you have to do it? He says, I told him I would. And I appreciated that. You say you got to. You say you're going to do it. You got to do it. I've done things I did not want to do. I, Pastor Joe mentioned it earlier upstairs. I paid money that I probably would not have had to pay. I could have gotten out of it, but I said I was going to do it. I did it. God honors that. And so that is don't fall into the trap that someone's like I was looking at. Well, a vow is different than a covenant, and therefore, and so we play that game. The fact of the matter is, I don't care what you call it. When you say you're going to do something, you got to do it. And if you don't, God's going to get it out of you anyway. Why is this thing not working like it's supposed to? I have to do this every time. 
Let's just look at some Bible verses. Now, I gave you a handout, and the reason I gave you a handout is we're going to cover a lot of Bible verses. One of the things at this seminar we agreed to do was talk about what the Bible says. I am not going to tell you what you should or should not do in this, regarding this particular message. I'm just going to tell you the Bible verses. You read it. I was in a church Sunday, whatever Sunday it was I was in church, and the pastor said this at the end of the sermon. He said, okay, it's time for the invitation. He said, you know what we do around here? Everybody was there. He said, you need to get saved. You come on down. You need prayer for finances or healing or you've got oppression. You've got uh, drugs because this is right in the part of town he's dealing with. You've got drugs and you, he's got prostitutes. You get in that situation and you need to get set free of that. You come on down. Nobody came down. He says, okay, I'm free. Don't blame God. Don't blame me. We gave you the opportunity. So that's sort of what we do here today. And, and I think that this is a real um, sympathetic audience. It's not like we have hecklers are saying, prove this or prove that. This is a pretty good group. Nobody's going to come in a situation like that. But what we want to do is, here's what the Bible says. It's up to you now. Find out what it is, what it says, and go do it. Let's see. I'm going to go through this every time. And I pastored you upstairs, mentioned this. I'm going to say this. Numbers 32 is a, a, a classic verse on, on what the Bible says. But I'm going to give you a couple of things. And I'm taking these from different translations, the one that seems to say it the best. And um, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath, so we have vow, we have oath, to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. That's the classic verse that we use for what vows are. It's really more than vows, as you see. Okay? Now, um, one time I had to give a handout. I was a teacher. I always have handouts so you can keep up with what's going on. And the person raised their hand and said, what, what goes in this space next to number three? You take notes. Does, the whole point of this is you get a list of verses that I'm going to use. You go study them, and you take whatever note. If one says something to you, you write that down and jog your memory, or don't write them down. It's up to you. Um, Dr. Cook spoke. I was so excited about what he said. I couldn't keep up with the notes, so I went and bought his book. Uh, my book's back there on the back table. Oh, I haven't written it yet. So I guess you'll just have to take the notes since I don't have a book. Proverbs 18.21 says, Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. We do not understand how powerful that really is. Now, we, uh, some of us, and I have to be very careful here, we, uh, Joe called them the blab and grab group and the name and claim it group and that sort of thing. There's some truth to those things. There's some truth to that saying stuff. If you walk around all day saying negative, rotten stuff, you're just going to get more negative and rotten. And so it's like Pastor Joe said upstairs, you've got to, you have a choice. You can believe better or worse. I choose better. The Bible says choose life or death. I choose life. And so uh, you have to watch what you say. Because not only speaking positive, uplifting kinds of things, but watch what you say when you promise to do things. I'm a sucker for, we need help. I'll help you, brother. Oh, no, as I say I was going to help him, guess what? i got to go do it, because I said it. Ecclesiastes 5.2, he, he mentioned this. Other way. One time I talked to Pastor Joe. I, of course, I've been with him for 20, known him since 70, whatever, 2, 3, something like that. 71, 3, whatever. He just opened my mouth and Pastor Joe falls out. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon the earth, therefore let thy words be few. There's an old saying about watch the words you say, keep them sweet, you're going to have to eat them. And so, do not be rash. Now, Ecclesiastes 5 has some other things, and I'll go through this real quick since he stole my thunder, he said. When thou vowest a vow unto the Lord, to God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. A fool is someone who doesn't do what they say they're going to do. That would be what this says. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest vow, not vow, that thou shouldest vow a vow and not pay it. If you're not going to do what you say, don't say it. I'm not very good at getting people to help me. If I go to you and say, would you help me do something? And you say, yeah, I expect you to do it. If you get in trouble and can't do it, then I'm disappointed. So rather than put you in the bind, I don't pressure you to do it. I might say, can you help me? Now, if you can't, don't say you can't. But if you can, then say it and do it. 
And I'm kind of the same way. I'm getting to the point where if somebody wants something from me or, or wants me to say something, I say, well, let me check with that. Let me check with my wife first. Let me check my calendar first. Because if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I don't want to get myself in a bind where I'm in real trouble. Okay. Verse 6, Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore, should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thy hands? Thine hands. Pastor Joe mentioned this earlier, the work of your hands. And he, he talked about that. We used to be very careful about uh, that. And he's mentioned that. I'm not going to go any further with that. What does the Bible say? We don't have a lot of verses here. One of the things we mentioned about covenants was covenant breakers. And um, I just thought I'd throw that in. The Bible talks about covenant breakers in Romans. At the very end of Romans 1, this is the, um, this is the decline of morality chapter. It just goes right on down to nothing. And we'll look at this. We see part of this. Now, this is Paul. And in the King James, he's speaking about reprobate. reprobate. And I like the King James because reprobate is really bad. I mean, that's a good word for bad guys. Reprobate. And some of the other translations are not quite so strong on that, so I like the King James on that. And here's what it says. Being filled with all unrighteousness. Listen to these characters. Fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Now, a lot of these are King James words. It's a pretty rotten group. Covenant breaker. Covenant is simple. If you say you're going to do something and you don't. Now, I believe God will get it out of you. But, uh, so we'll, I think enough said about that. Okay, what did you talk about in that one? Well, we talked about reprobates. So all the reprobates went over there. No, that's not true. I want to talk about a human covenant for a minute. The guy came to me, the pastor came to me one morning and he said, I told you this, that, um, you know, about the vow being before God and a covenant being two people together. A covenant is also what God makes with man. God does not make a vow with you, he makes a covenant. This is just difference of definition is all. And But people make covenants, or contracts, if you want to use that word. And he tried to say that was the difference. And since he said marriage was between a man and a woman, it's a covenant, and therefore you could break it. So it took me about, after he left and I got my computer out, about ten minutes to find this verse. I knew it was there, I just couldn't quite place it. Galatians 3.15 says, and this is Paul trying to convince, oh, you foolish Galatians, about the new covenant, about what Jesus had come to do, about being saved by grace, about faith. Here's what he says. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Jesus, just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. And he was talking about the New Testament or the New Covenant. So here's Paul trying to explain to the Galatians about the new covenant, and he uses a, a human covenant as an example. If we make a contract to buy a car, a house, credit card, you sign that sucker, when you make that deal, it cannot be changed. It cannot be set aside. It cannot be set Just as God's contract with us through Jesus Christ cannot be changed. Now, you ought to have your head scratching. I said, whoa, this is even... So this guy comes to me and he says, see, you can break a human covenant. I said, there ain't no way. It's almost like you'd have to be able to break the covenant that Jesus has in salvation. It's the same strength. Oh, wow. Now, we're going to talk very briefly about the marriage covenant. That's really what this is about, but we're going to go a little further. One of the guys, one of the speakers said, so Ed, you're going to speak on what you speaking on? I said, covenant... He said, how far are you going to go? I don't know how far you go means. I mean, are we going to get into something really goofy? We'll see. The marriage covenant. Genesis 2. Pastor Joe did this upstairs a little bit. I hope you don't mind if I call him Pastor Joe. That's all I know him as. He's not reverend. He's not doctrine. He is Pastor Joe. Loving dearly. Like my father. Um, Genesis 2. And Adam said, saying is one of those words about covenant. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I am very sorry. I did not introduce my wife. Everybody knows her. Bless her pee-picking heart. 
she's been running the table back there, giving you your tags. And all. Everybody knows who she is. And uh, I'm only up here because she's behind me, helping me out and going on. I should have given her due honor at the very beginning. So I, I stand corrected and forgive me. So I saw this bone in my bone and flesh in my flesh. I'm like, oh boy, where's my bone in my flesh? Where's my rib? Okay, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, now Adam makes this confession. As a result of that, because Adam said, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined or glued to his wife. Think about God's glue. God's glue. You thought super glue was strong? God's glue is really strong. None of that 3M stuff that you sticky stuff you take off and put on. That's what some people think marriage is. And he shall be joined or glued to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Let me tell you, the, the people that we discuss with on the, on the other side frequently, you have to deal with a lot of these kinds of things. This is pretty hard, hardcore right here. Proverbs 2, 16 and 17. Here, the writer of the Proverbs, Solomon, is talking about wisdom. Listen to what he says about wisdom. Will save you from the adulteress. Now, someone who is married, we learned about that already, who is uh, violating their marriage vow. From the wayward wife, wife is the one who commits adultery, with her seductive words, who's left a partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage is what we say. One time when I was reading the Bible and I found out that uh, uh, Isaac, yeah, Abraham sent his servant to bring back the wife for Isaac, and that was um, Rebecca. Is that right? I get Rebecca. I've got I've got 25 nieces and nephews, and most of them are Rebecca's and and uh, uh, Rebecca must be all I can think of. And so um, it says she lighted off a camel. See, they're smoking in the Bible. Lighted off a camel and went unto him, and they were one flesh. They were married. What did they do? I said, there was, what marriage? Where was the honeymoon? Where was the, um, you know, the preacher? And where was all that stuff we do? They made an agreement. We're married. You know what that means? That's what it is. Made a covenant before God. That's what makes it a vow, because it's before God. It's both a covenant at marriage, it's both a covenant and a vow. Ezekiel 6, 8, 16, 8. This is God's marriage to Israel. I don't know if you've thought about this, Israel is married to the Lord God. Oh, We, Christians, the church, is engaged to Jesus. We have not had the marriage supper of the Lamb yet. The Baptist boy had a hard time wrapping his mind around that sucker. And uh, so I just leave it at that and let you work on that. That's a little extra freebie. God's marriage to Israel. 16 verse 8 says, When I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Reminds me of Ruth and Boaz. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord God. So God married Israel with a covenant. You would think, being God, you didn't have to make a covenant. He did. Part of the marriage covenant. One more. Malachi, for you Italians, it's Malachi. This is the one everybody uses. How many times have you been in church and the pastor goes to Malachi 3 to talk about tithing? Go, I mean, they pound on that. I said, wait, what happened to Malachi 2? Let's talk about that one a while. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore. Think about this. If God does not regard your offering, there is no forgiveness for your sins. Our offering is Jesus Christ. He was sacrificed for us. Our sins are forgiven through that. In the Old Testament, we had to make offer. They had to make offerings on the altar. God did not regard their offerings. They were not. I would say saved. That's a New Testament word, but we'll use it. Nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. You're married by covenant and it's a vow of Okay. I have a whole session about excuses and that's what we're really going to get into. That's the introduction. How are we doing? Ooh, good. We're, we're moving. Um, 
There are reasons why people don't do what they say they're going to do. They don't keep their covenants. They don't keep their promises. I picked out three we're going to talk about today. Three reasons. There's some of them on that list. For not keeping our word. I'll use that instead of covenant. We won't make it real religious and use the word a covenant. We'll just say for not keeping our word. I want to make this practical. I think it's more than marriage. I think there's a whole lot of people in our camp that have got their fingers like this, thumbs like this. Yes, sir. I'm not divorced or I'm not remarried. I know that truth. I took bankruptcy, didn't pay for my car. They're chasing me around for my mortgage payment, but that's okay. And basically they're not doing what they say they're going to do, but they're, they're okay here. You know, I don't think you're any better off. And I'll tell you something else. I'm going to stop right now and tell you this one. We have to be very careful of thinking if we get to, bless God, hallelujah, we got the truth on this area. And I talked to a pastor as smart as a whip, reads the word, knows the Greek, knows the Hebrew, cannot figure this out. He's got this blind spot. I go home and say, dear God, where's my blind spot? What in the word am I not seeing? Show me. I don't want a blind spot. Thank you for showing me this. Show me my blind spot. That's for you. Excuses for not keeping our word. There's basically three. One of them is personal situations. One of my favorites. I have a special. You don't know my husband. You don't know my wife, buddy. If you knew my wife, you'd know this was different. We're not supposed to get a divorce, but you don't know my wife. I First year I taught school, I went in the teacher's lounge. All the divorced women were in one corner, ragging on their husband, and, and others, ragging on their husband. Oh, it's time to, can you top this? My husband's so bad that. And they would let them, oh, my husband, blah, 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 or my ex. Okay? You just don't understand how tough I got it. You don't, it would be different. You don't understand my personal situation. I am different than everybody else. You may have a problem, but I have a real problem. And of course, to us, my problem is bigger than your problem. To me, it is. I'll tell you that truthfully. Now, my whole goal in life is to put my problem down so that I can minister to your problem. That's what, I, that's what we're supposed to do. But if in the world, my problem would be bigger than yours because it's mine. Second one, ignorance. I didn't understand what was going on. If I'd have known she was going to be like this, I didn't know. She changed. The guy tell me that. It's okay because she changed. She's not the woman I married. He's not the husband I married. He didn't tell me about these sins he had when I was dating him. I'm convinced that it was there. You didn't see it. Love is blind. I won't go any further. I was tricked. What we might say. Last one is silliness. I really didn't. I was just joking. There's a couple of sitcoms on TV that they say stupid stuff all the time. Say, I'm just joking. I was just joking. I really didn't mean it. Personal situation. Esau is the character we're going to look at real quick. Ignorance. Joshua's ignorant. Pastor Joe mentioned that one, I believe. And silliness. Jephthah. You may have heard of some of these characters. You may not. We'll just run through them real quick. Or not. Esau. Look at Genesis 25, 39 through 33. When we do a large amount of scripture like this, I'm going to use an easier to understand translation. I'm not going to get the thousand of these tangled up on my tongue, so you'll forgive me if I use the NIV in spite of what some of the right reverend doctors have said about different translations. I personally happen to like this one. But you know what? I go back to the Greek as best I can, and I check him out. He's exactly right. You just don't take it and say it because it's in the translation. But we're going to move quickly with a lot, so I'm going to use this one. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why it's called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. That's, uh, what good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him. Doesn't take covenant anywhere in here, does it? But we know what that is. When you swear something, you're going to do it. When you uh, swear an oath, selling his birthright to Jacob. When Esau gave up his birthright, he also lost his blessing. So a lot of TV evangelists or TV speakers that talk about the blessing. And the whole point, if you would listen to a lot of pastors today, and a lot of ministers today, is to be blessed by God. Make sure you get your new car, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really rag them a little bit here. And make sure you get your new whatever it is and get your big blessing. Be blessed. That's the whole point, to be blessed by God. My conviction is that if God blesses you, it's for the point of channeling that blessing through to somebody else. 
Absolutely. I used to do financial counseling with Larry Burkett, Christian Financial Concepts, what he taught. If God blesses you with finances, it's for the purpose of blessing someone else, not piling up as much as you can. So, And some of these guys are saying, I'll just do what you want with that. But they get all excited about the blessing. He gave up his birthright. He also lost his death. So this means God originally said Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Doesn't even sound right, does it? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is what we say, isn't it? Maybe it was supposed to have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. He was the oldest, wasn't he? His birthright, he gave it up. You could give up your birthright, I guess. You could give up your blessing. When Esau heard his father's words, this is after Esau had, uh, after um, uh, Isaac had uh, blessed him, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry, said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob, for he has deceived me these two times? He took my birthright, and now he's taking my blessing. Then he asked, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? I've been to churches where they preach blessing a lot. You know, name it and claim it. Now, I don't want to be negative. There's a whole lot of poor people, a whole lot of sick people, a whole lot of bound up people because they don't realize the difference between blessing and, um, and birthright. And that's a, whole, that's a whole other message to go off on. And we'll, I'll spare you that today. Isaac answered to Esau, I've made him lord of you and have made all his relatives his servants. And I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you? I mean, the guy comes in, he's hungry. He says, I want some food. He says, good, just swear to me your birthright. Hey, I'm going to die. What good is it going to do me? Why didn't he trust God? I'm the oldest. I got it all. I can survive a couple of days. That's not been a very good hunter. Okay. How could he get his birthright back? After you've blown it, how can you get it back? Could he say he had any personal, you don't understand my situation. I was hungry. Oh, was I famished. I had a, I just, you might have been hungry, but I was really hungry. Isn't God the Lord, a God of mercy and forgiveness? He's just forgiving. Okay, Esau, you're forgiven. You can, have the, uh, you can be in the lineage now. I don't care what you said. Couldn't you pray to God and restore? How many times you said people, I prayed and God said I should divorce him and get another one. You prayed? Somehow you pray and that makes everything okay? You pray and then you do what you want. What kind of faith is that? Number five, if Esau would repent, God would restore his birthright. I have that happen. I repented of my divorce. Now how goofy is that? Here's the way it goes. You're married, you get a divorce. Repent means go the other way. What they really meant was I said I'm sorry. That's what they really meant. I repented. I used to tell my son, get on to him for something. He'd say, I'm sorry. I said, but then repent. means don't do it again. So he, he should know that difference. After all, Esau was the firstborn. After all, I'm saved. Don't I know the Lord? He's going to take care of me. I don't have to do anything. I can get by with sloppy agape. You know, just slop it up and God will take care of me. He'll bless me because I'm in the kingdom. And that's us being te- taught all over the place. People are teaching it everywhere. Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. I love this. Hebrews 12, 16. Esau, the writer of the Hebrews, I did a paper in college called him Paul. I don't know if that's true, but I had to take a position. Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterwards, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. When he swore it, it was done. There ain't no going back, if you'll pardon my, my language. He swore it, it was done. He sought it carefully. So you can see Esau pleading, crying, tears. Help me, bless me. Joshua. Oh, we'll go this one real quick, because Pastor Joe got on this one. When the people of Gibeon heard that Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation, those with donkeys, whoops, they went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins cracked and mended. The men put worn and patched sandals on their feet and, sw- and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him, The men of Israel, 
uh, dear men of Israel, we have come from a distant country, make a treaty with us. Then Joshua made a treaty with peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by an oath. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard them, heard that they were neighbors living near them. Okay, let's go into this. Since God had already told the Israelites to conquer the people of Canaan, he'd want them to ignore this treaty. This is a treaty made out of being silly. I made a contract to buy this car, and this is not the car I was going to buy. I ain't paying you. That's exactly what this is talking about. They misrepresented themselves. God told uh, Joshua to go into the promised land, kill those Canaanites, take the land. Except for, um, except for um, Jericho, you're going to get everything else. Jericho's first fruits, God gets that. Everything else is going to belong to you. Go get them. So they get tricked. Well, wait a minute. Isn't the greater thing that God wants us to do to take the land? Wasn't that the prime directive? So why are we going to... We can just ignore this treaty with the Gibeonites. After all, that's not what God told us to do. This is a legal treaty. They misrepresented themselves. He would not expect us to honor a treaty with a group of people who lied. It's a false treaty. He, Joshua couldn't be expected to honor it. He didn't even know all the facts. Whose fault was that? In fact, if you read the Bible, it says he didn't seek the Lord. Certainly God would understand and, and release the Israelites from this illegal agreement so they could go out and wipe out the Gibeonites and the rest of the Canaanites. The rest of the story. Chapter 9, verse 18 through 20. But the Israelites did not attack them. They didn't attack them. Because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders. Yeah, the people were all upset with them because of this deal. Because they didn't seek the Lord making this treaty. We grumble against our leaders sometimes, don't we? They don't do things right. But all the leaders answered, get this. We have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. Wow. I didn't seek the Lord, but I said it, so i got to do it. Wow. This is what we will do. We will let them live so that the wrath will not fall on us. Wow. For breaking the oath, we swore to them. rest of the story again. You think that's all? They didn't. So they make this treaty. They're not going, okay, we're not going to conquer you. We're going to let you live. You'll be our slave. You cut wood for us and take care of us. See what happens in the next chapter. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal. Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us because the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. You know what we would have said? What we would have said today? Hey, okay, that's God going to get you. We made this bad treaty. We're not going to get you, but God's sending those other guys to get you. What happened? The other guys, the other Canaanite kings, saw what the Gibeonites had done, made the deal. They got mad with them, so they're going to go wipe them out. So what did the people from Gibeon do? They went to their new Israel friends they got a treaty with. They said, hey, guys, we've got this treaty. Not only are you not going to conquer us, you're going to save us from the bad guys. I just said, there ain't no way. This is God getting you for being a bad guy. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal. With his entire army. Entire army. I think I'd have slacked a little bit. Said, okay, Lord, take care of him. I'll send somebody to make it sound good. Including the best, all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hands. Five cities at once that we're going to take out. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. Those guys should have been tired. The Lord threw them into confusion. Who? The Lord. He's doing the battle here. I thought the Lord was going to take care of the Gibeonites because they tricked God's people. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road, going up to Beth Horon, and cut them down all the way, all the way to Azkah and Makeda. And as they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horzon to Alkeah, Azkah, I'm sorry, the Lord hurled who? The Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky. And more of them died from hailstones that were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Not only did the Israelites were not able to go, not only were the Israelites to save the Gibeonites, God got involved and saved the Gibeonites because of the treaty that they made out of ignorance with them. Unbelievable. Makes no sense to us. I'm taking that car back and I'm not going to pay for it because it wasn't the car I wanted and blah, 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 blah. Did you sign the contract? Yep, sorry. Wow. 
Joshua 10, on the day the Lord gave the Ammonites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of God, O sun, stand still over Gibeon, O moon, over the valley of Algelon. This was such an important battle, the sun and the moon stood still. While God took care of the Canaanites who were going to destroy the Gibeonites who had made this rotten deal with the Jews. And God showed himself very powerful. So the sun stood still, the moon stopped, till all the nation avenged itself on its enemies. As is written in the book of Jazar, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down for a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, the day the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Well, he was fighting for that contract as well, for that treaty. Oh, that's not the end of the story. Samuel, a bunch of years later, 340, I believe, during the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years, so David sought the face of the Lord. Lord, he says, it's on account of Saul, this bloodstained house. It's because he put the Gibeonites to death. 340 years later, God still remembers that treaty that um, Joshua made with the Gibeonites. Saul, being the impetuous person he was, he goes out and kills a bunch of them. God judges Israel for killing them because they violated the treaty, and he, gives, he brings on... Um, the problems with the, fa with the famine. I knew a guy one time sitting at a table right across from me. I thought he and his wife were first characters. I knew that the lady had, a, had kids by another man, and he's dead. So I'm saying, okay, maybe they're good. The guy says, I've been, she's my third wife. And he says this, but that was before I was saved, and it was a long time ago. No, I know it wasn't 340 years ago. At 340 years, God is still keeping track of treaties and contracts and covenants. And he knows what's been said. The king summoned the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now Gibeonites were not a part of Israel, but survivors. And it goes on to talk about that. I'm going to move quickly through this. David asked the Gibeonites, what shall I do? And he ends up killing seven of them, I believe. I'll give them to you. Seven of his male descendants. He had, verse 9, he hands them over to the Gibeonites who killed and exposed them on a hill before the Lord. All seven of them fell together. Okay. So here we have God really... Taking care of this treaty. You make a treaty, buddy. You got it. It's, it's, if you don't put it, if you know, on a contract that you make with someone, you can put a time limit on it. Try to try it on your marriage. There is it. There is it. There is. I think some people get divorced because they think they think we got married forever. It is only as long as we both live. This doesn't go into eternity. Am I going to live to live with her in eternity? No, just till you die. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That is a joke, folks. There's some theology there I just don't feel like getting into right now, but we'll... <coughs> Pardon me. Jephthah. A bunch of you know this story. Boy, this is a tough one. I'll try telling this one in church sometime. I don't know who's going to get up and hit me or not. Judges 11, verses 5 and 6. The elders of Gilgal went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, our commander, so we can fight the Ammonites. Now, um, Jephthah was an um, illegitimate son. And as a result, are we Okay. Oh, I need to drink some water. I'm sounding pretty rough, huh? I'm getting excited. So uh, Jephthah was an illegitimate child, and he was banished. And he went out and got a bunch of guys, and they were out pillaging and plundering the countryside. And so when the Ammonites came, he said, let's go get the meanest guy we know to take care of the, the enemy, the Ammonites. And so they went for Jephthah. So his brothers and his friends went to get him and be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. This is to God. It's a vow. Some of them were to each other. We had a treaty a minute ago. We had some other stuff. Okay. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in, in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. What a stupid thing to say. Now, but don't be too quick on Jephthah. Now, I've not said sacrifice anything, but I've said some stupid stuff that I've had to do and pay. And Okay, I'm not too proud to get down on my knees. When you saw her, when you saw her, he told, what did I read that? Alas, my daughter, you've brought me very low. You are among those who troubled me. For I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. Now, surely the Lord didn't expect him to sacrifice his daughter. Boy, let me tell you something. You ought to read the commentaries on this one. And I'm going to tell you right now, I do not know the answer to this. I haven't figured everything out, believe it or not. I don't know, but obviously the Lord did not expect him to sacrifice his daughter. Certainly understand that he wasn't serious. 
I was just kidding. Guys ever say anything to your wife, smart aleck? Did she jump on you? He, whoops, I messed up. Oh, I was kidding, dear. You ever watch Raymond? He does that constantly. I get sick of him. You know, oh, I was just kidding. No, you weren't. I use it all the time. Isn't, uh, after after uh, Ken there, I guess I won't. Isn't God the God of the second chance? God is the second chance. Well, wait a minute. I was, give me another chance, God. I'll, let me go back and do that over again. Books written on that kind of stuff. Number four, perhaps Jephthah was not really a man of God, and God would not hold him to this silly vow. The rest of the story, Judges 11. Then he said, he's talking to his Jephthah, talking to his daughter, go, so he sent her away for two months. She left with her companions and wept on the mountains because of her virginity. At the end of two months, she returned to her father, who did according to the vow which he had made, and she had no relations with the man. Thus it became a custom in Israel. Perhaps Jephthah, we'll just leave it that for a minute. Now, I don't know if he sacrificed her or not. I do know that he did what he vowed. Now, if you go back and look at the vow, and you say that's not what he said, then you can get off of what he did. He did what he vowed. He did what he vowed. And you can go to the doctors and to the theologians, and you can read the commentaries, and you can figure it out. But one thing is for sure, he did what he vowed. He either didn't vow he was going to actually kill his daughter, or he did and he did it. That's not what we're here for. He did what he vowed. I had a man that I respect very greatly. I was teaching this at a men's meeting about, basically, this is just do what you say you're going to do. That was the point. I was teaching this at a men's meeting on Saturday morning at our church, our church I was going to at the time, and the word got to me that one of the... Um, very respected doctor, professor, instructor, theologians in the church had evidently found out about this and said that Mr. Jephthah was not a man of God and this was a vow that was, could not, was not a proper vow and he was somebody we just would not be, we don't do what he says. I mean, he's like a bad guy, Jephthah, and we don't do what he says. I thought that was funny. More of the rest of the story. Let's see what the writers of the Hebrews said. This is chapter 11, the faith chapter. And what more shall I say? Do not, I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. So here's this guy that did what he said, whether it was sacrifice his daughter or whatever, stuck in between Samson and David. How would you like to be in a roll call between Samson and David? There's a good place to be. I mean, David, you know, he murdered and he adultered and so forth, but he was beloved of the Lord still. And Samson, a mighty man of God, got into trouble, pulled it out at the end. I wouldn't mind being between those two guys, you know, in the, up in the list of, you know, hierarchy, how well you did when you were down here. That's a good group. Get in that Hebrews 11 chapter. And, you know, here's Jephthah saying, you know, he, you know chapter 12 says, this great cloud of witnesses that are charging and telling, go for it, buddy, run the race, get down and do it. Chapter 12, first verse. Jephthah's one of those guys. Go for it, Ed. God really cares about us keeping our vows, doing what we say. Oh, the end of the story. Matthew 5. Jesus said, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. I kind of like the message Bible sometimes. It says this, just say yes and no. When you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. Good stuff. What's your excuse for not keeping with personal situation like Esau? You don't understand my problem. You don't understand. I made that contract for a car, but I didn't have any money. You know something? Your personal situation does not release you from a from a promise, a covenant, or an oath, or something like that. Ignorance, like Joshua. I didn't understand what was going on. I was tricked. That's no excuse. Do what you say. Silliness. Like Jephthah, I really didn't mean it. I was just joking. A vow is no joking matter. God still holds you to it no matter what. Final note. Matthew 7.22. Powerful verse. Powerful passage. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Let me tell you something. There are people right now 
I know them who are divorced and remarried, who are laying hands on people, they're getting healed, casting out demons in people, I know it, I see it, who are leading people to the Lord, they're prophesying correctly and proper things. How can this be? God honors His Word. Let me tell you something. You turn on that TV, you go to your church, the man stands up and he's used mightily of God. Let me tell you something. In His name, He done those. That's true. In the name of Jesus, these things occurred. That's true. What you do. Ed's a great speaker. What a powerful preacher. What a powerful teacher. That does not have anything to do with what's inside of me. Jimmy Swaggart, I'll never forget this story, and you all know it. Teach evangelists, bringing people to the Lord, getting off the stage, going out and getting a prostitute. We found out that's what was going on. How can he do that? God utters his word. So when you see someone doing that, that does not mean they're a mighty, powerful man of God. It means God's using them in a mighty, powerful way. You use a jackass, he can use me. Verse 23, And then I will profess unto you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. I have to believe that Jesus is including in these who violate promises, covenants, vows, etc. Let's pray and we can get out of here. Our Father, we thank you for the word We pray, Lord, that you continue to open your scriptures to us. Give us open minds, Lord, to receive all that you have for us. Help us, Lord, to be, as Pastor Joe said up there, spit out the sticks. When things aren't right, when Ed stumbles and says something out of his own uh, uh, mind and his own body, that that would be kicked out, and the things of the Holy Spirit would be the part that we listen to. I pray, Lord, that when we read these scriptures, that your Holy Spirit would show us exactly what we should say, and what we should do, and how we should believe. But more importantly, this afternoon, Lord, we pray that you would cause us to be people of our word, people of honor, people of conviction, when we say it, we do it. They will know us because we do what we say. And Lord, help us to be careful of what we say. Help us to know that life and death is in our tongue. Help us to understand these things and not only be hearers, but doers as well. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah.